Welcome to the Masculinity Podcast, conversations about masculinity, men, and our relationships with them. My name's Mel, and I invite you to pop the kettle on, make a mug of your hot beverage of choice, and join us for a relaxed and open conversation. So joining me on the Masculinity Podcast today, I have two very wonderful and excellent humans. This call is going to be interesting because uh, Levi and Bram have not actually met each other in real life, but they certainly have enough commonalities and they know me in common that I thought it might be a good idea to get both of them talking about this subject. Uh, so Bram and I are both co-moderators of a Facebook group together and um I first met them in person several years ago, I think, when you were visiting Vancouver, and um, we hit it off, and we've we've stayed good friends ever since. And uh, Levi approached me um, several years ago when I was doing some consent advocacy work, uh, wanting to really get into working with uh, men and helping men to understand their role in um, in tackling consent issues. It's been lovely to get to know Levi more and more through the years and as their own journey has evolved. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have both of you uh, here for the podcast today. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. So I really have no idea what we're going to talk about in terms of like precise topics. <laughs> I really, the thing that's really on my mind, like I, I wanted to get both of you together because I wanted to talk about queering masculinity. And I don't even know what that means, but I feel like that is a thing. And I feel like that's a thing that both of you could speak to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do identify as genderqueer. And uh, I recently came across through one of my partners who is also genderqueer, a fairly succinct little kind of explanation for folks that maybe aren't as familiar with that concept of genderqueer. And it was in kind of contrast to the idea of gender fluidity. So the idea of someone being gender fluid means that they have more than one gender expression, but usually only one at a time. Whereas gender queer tends to incorporate aspects of multiple gender expressions simultaneously. And so certainly for me, that's a big part of where I come into this idea of queering gender is that there are roles that uh, in society, I mean, I'm Canadian by birth, uh, so I've been raised in this so-called Western culture, uh, and there's this kind of man box that cisgendered men get put into, where there are certain things that are masculine traits and certain things that are not. Um, and so for myself, my practice of queering gender involves pulling in some of the things that aren't masculine and finding ways to embody them in a fashion that is, uh, I don't know, maybe more compatible or just more holistic. Uh, to break outside of that box and start to bring in healthy parts that aren't necessarily included. Mm, I like that. I've never put it in these terms before, but I feel like my journey through exploring gender and expressing gender differently has really just been like a process of like identifying like who I th who I am authentically, this like quest for authenticity. And yeah, I just remember growing up and I just couldn't get the boy thing right ever. And I was really criticized and bullied for not being masculine enough and was often very attracted to things that were stereotypically feminine. 
wished, you know, wished that I had more options around like expressing myself through clothing, found myself really wanting to connect with like girls more because like I felt like they understood me on an emotional level better and I understood them on an emotional level better. And I remember living in, in Vancouver, I moved to Vancouver and I was like 19 and when I was 21, I was meeting a lot of like queer and gender non-conforming and trans people. And I remember being introduced to the concept of like being gender queer, non-binary and just kind of being like, Oh yeah, that's me. That's what I've always been. And I didn't really take that part of myself very seriously until I, I heard somebody explain that gender queer, gender non-conformity being non-binary could very well be sort of placed with like underneath of the transgender umbrella. And so that was kind of eye-opening for me. There was this validity to the identity that I hadn't seen before. And so I kind of was like, when I was like 23 or 24, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of this, you know, that in many ways, at least as far as my peers were concerned, they really recognize this as like a very valid community, a very valid identity or a number of very valid identities. And so I kind of jumped into sort of like this idea of expressing and exploring femininity and, I was, you know, wearing makeup and painting my nails and wearing thigh-high socks. And I did this big photo shoot where I was wearing all kinds of dresses and stuff like that. And it was this, like, really exciting time to explore femininity. And then, like, uh, I was, like, 27 and I, like, sudden, like decided to buy a motorcycle. And my motorcycle kept breaking down. So I was like, I guess I need a pickup truck to put my broken down motorcycle in. And all of a sudden I was like, like really identifying with these like very stereotypically masculine things Mm. that I never felt like I had in the past. I ever felt like I had a choice to enjoy. It was more of like an imposition. Masculinity was something that I was supposed to be doing. Mm. And then like, because I had this language around sort of the idea of performing gender, I was kind of just like, yeah, I kind of feel like, performing masculinity in this way that feels like a choice for me it feels like empowering and fun and so now like my my gender expression is like very stereotypically masculine like I wear car hearts every day and I have a big beard and I <laughs> like I there's not really any sort of like femininity in my expression whatsoever but there's this idea that like my gender expression is something that feels like really authentic because it was like chosen it's just like fun. kind of sometimes I feel like I'm making fun of masculinity by performing it in this like almost hyper masculine way and of course like really trying to avoid the aspects of toxic masculinity that often occur so that's my experience of gender that's a little bit of my journey and kind of where I'm sitting right now that's amazing thank you so much for expressing that so fully and eloquently and and you know, I, I'm in awe of both of you in, in your journeys to challenge that uh, man box of, you know, what's what's permitted as as behavior um, within masculinity. And something you said there, Levi, really piqued my curiosity, this idea of coming into masculinity as a conscious choice rather than something that you've been forced into. And it sounds like it's certainly in your your gender expression, you've had this amazing journey of exploring all aspects and then finding something that you feel that you can choose authentically as yours. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love that. That's really, really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, a lot of uh, what you said there, Levi, definitely resonates with me in terms of my starting point around really exploring gender. And so there was a period where uh, I kind of, in retrospect, I kind of overcompensated um, that I had been, you know, masculine by default for so long that I really wanted to push myself into the feminine end. And so similar to you, I would, you know, have, uh, you know, do my hair fancy, get wigs, uh, get all dolled up, all these kinds of things. And it was valid for me at the time, and it was a super important exploration. But part of what that helped me to see was that I don't actually have to necessarily go that far. That that high femme for me is still something that I like to do on occasion, but it's not necessarily me on a daily basis. Um, and so I actually had a similar experience in terms of choosing masculinity, where I found that I had spent so much effort on presenting as a female gender, that I then took that same experience back into my male presentation, and it did definitely change the way that I shopped for clothes, the way that I accessorized, the way that I did these things uh, with the more masculine end of it as well. Myself, I'm still kind of a bit of a hybrid. I usually still keep my nails painted, right? So I usually have little splashes of it. I enjoy wearing skirts as well as dress shirts. Um, so there's a lot of that that I still do have kind of a bit of an interim. So while I'm I'm more on the masculine end, but I definitely incorporate some aspects of what is considered femininity in terms of uh, the way that I present my gender these days. It, it's interesting because I, I think, Bram, of when you were visiting me last summer and uh, we went uh, down to the local uh, coffee shop that's uh, run by a very Christian group of people and uh, you wore your skirt uh, to go in there and and I mean, it's it's the summertime, so I, I sometimes wonder if people just don't even realize. Um, but, you know, seeing someone who's very uh, masculine in the physical presentation, like I think you, you had a beard at the time. and, and you Probably, yeah. Yeah, and wearing a skirt, walking down the street. There's something in that that almost feels like, because there's a sort of air of masculinity, uh, nobody questions the skirt. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm quite active with my local trans community. Um, and one of the things that I always find fascinating, and I still don't fully have an explanation for it, I almost never receive street harassment. And I know so many other members of my community who do, who share these stories all the time, that it, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter, um, somewhat problematic idea, it doesn't matter how well they pass or not, uh, that they receive a lot of street harassment over it. But I still carry myself with enough of that masculine confidence, masculine privilege, call it what you will, that it is very rare that anyone will actually hassle me to my face. Mm. I, uh, I'm reminded of um, something that happened to the son of a friend of mine. Uh, this this kid was, I think he was about five or six years old. So he's like just gone from that transition of being in preschool to being in elementary school. And he came home one day and he told um, his parents that he couldn't wear pink anymore because pink was a girl's color. Mm -hmm. And his parents were absolutely devastated um, because they were like, no, this isn't how we want to raise you to be. Anybody can wear pink. It's not a commentary on your gender. And so what if it, it you know, if you wanted to wear something that was more girl like you could do that if you wanted and, and I remember seeing this kid processing this and just trying to wrap his head around the fact that like his peers 
had a different idea of what was okay than what he felt in himself was okay versus, you know, his parents were trying to encourage him differently. And I, I think about how that amplifies through all different aspects. Like this was just about wearing a pink shirt. And I think about all the other ways that we're expected to behave in terms of how we, uh, how we present as our gender and that, you know, the, the more closely you align to that expected presentation, somehow the less threatening you are or, or the less, the less threatening to other people's identity you are. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes wonder had I grown up in a culture where gender bending was modeled and encouraged and accepted if this sort of process of me feeling stuck in a box and needing to really like push it away and identify myself outside of it would have ever really happened. Like if there was this freedom to be like a so-called boy and still be able to express myself like really authentically, like I, I want sometimes wonder if this sort of desire or inclination to separate myself from the male gender would be as strong. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I have that same wonder a lot myself around whether if there was more fluidity in the culture, if I would even have done much of this. Um, I, I think probably I still would, um, but it's it's one of those areas where it's like on a sort of like a related note, uh, this is always something I have a bit of a hard time articulating. We have these ideas of what it means to be a man and often that involves being independent and being decisive and making up your own mind about what it is that you want to do and so it's always struck me as being very odd that if a man wants to wear a dress there's then pushback when it's like clearly a choice that he has made Mm. uh there was this great of course photo just recently that came out from the oscars uh, with this fabulous ball gown tuxedo combination. So beautiful. Oh my goodness. I'm just in love. <laughs> oh, it is fantastic. Uh, and it is turning heads in so many ways. And I just love the way that he carried that look. Uh, just the absolute confidence and poise. And this is just me. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of you know culture and history behind all of that appearance. Uh, so it's not like it's new. It's not mainstream, but it's been a part of some cultures and subcultures for a very long time. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where, you know, why is it that in so much of our life as men, we are expected to make our own decisions. And yet when it comes to what we want to wear, other people make that decision for us. Uh, I even remember there was a local salon that opened up here in Winnipeg that was catering specifically to men and it included doing manicures. So I'm like, oh, hey, great. You know, I can go and get my nails done. But explicitly on their website, they're saying we don't have any colored nail polish. What's the point then? If I can't get, you know, purple glitter nails out of my manicure, what am I even doing it for? It's probably one of the ways that they've been able to kind of differentiate. Yeah, that's like, there's, they're they're wanting to market themselves toward men, but there's maybe even kind of a threat. I mean, it's already maybe like such it's such a threat to masculinity for them to be offering manicures, like this idea that like men don't groom themselves or they don't in the in the same ways as like a woman mm-hmm. would, and that if they were to make colored nail polish available, that would be just going too far, and the men would be turned off and be like, ah, oh, they're trying to like make me gay. Totally. Yeah. 
I, I think that's exactly what, what is happening. I mean, I've got 10 years almost of experience in the spa industry and it's so interesting because like it's an industry that's very catered towards women and has expanded to include gay men. Uh, but you, you know, there's, there's straight women bringing their male partners in all the time. And you see these guys very reluctantly enjoy themselves. And then they feel this kind of shame about admitting how much they enjoyed themselves. And, and I love it. I love it when guys go, not just, you know, get massages, but like get the pedicure, get the manicure. And I have yet to see a guy come in and get the manicure pedicure with polish. They always go mm-hmm. for the one that's polish free. And and I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Bram. I'm like, what's, what's the point if you can't have the sparkles? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, One of my first experiences around that, actually, and this was before I had really come to terms with my gender queerness, so I was a little younger still, Uh, but I remember having uh, gone to a barbershop for the first time to get a uh, proper shave done with, like, the hot towels and the whole process, and it's as I'm lying here in this chair having someone else shave my face for me and, like, do all these little pampering things, Okay, I get it. I understand why spas are so popular, because that's what this is. It's a socially acceptable way to do that. Uh, And so I certainly hope that other folks that maybe will have that as an experience might be willing to try and branch out a little bit more into, you know, things that are considered classically feminine. But if you, at the very least, you know, if you're a very masculine person and you're concerned about this and you've never gotten your face shaved at a barbershop, try that out. It will open your mind to new ways of taking care of yourself and feeling good about yourself. Something you were saying uh, a few moments ago, Levi, about like they don't they don't want men to feel that they're gonna they're gonna be threatened that their identity is gonna be threatened by going going into get a manicure. It, it makes me think about like, well, where does all of this come from? Like. When we're talking about these tropes around masculinity, we're definitely talking about like the the white European North American colonial settler uh, tropes of masculinity. Um, I mean, in many cultures around the world, men wear uh, garments that are not pants. Um, you know, there's uh, there's the dish dash in the Middle East and there's other variations on that because like, damn, it's just more comfortable. And I, you know, I just I often wonder, like, where does this all come from? Because like we're both of you are challenging these very limited boxes of masculinity. But who the heck decided that this is what you had to be just because your genitals are a certain way? Yeah, you bring up sort of like the idea that like gender is as much sort of cultural as it is societal and that this stuff is very dependent on specifically the culture a person is from or growing up growing up in and living in. And there's like I have this perspective on gender, these concepts of masculinity and femininity, femininity where like like a lot of the time I'm I I I kind of feel like I just like I don't believe in it. Like, I don't, I don't believe like, you know, cause it's funny cause we're talking in these very binary terms, <laughs> right? So as a non-binary person, like I'm inclined to sort of speak to that from like my own personal perspective, which is that like, I don't like, I, so when I, when I refer to something as being masculine or feminine, like Bram used to use, use the term like classically feminine. And I would sort of use the term like a stereotype. Like we're talking about this, this thing that is a stereotype. It's sort of created, it's sort of um, prescribed. It's, it's kind of made up. It's a construction. And 
I don't really believe in masculinity or femininity. I believe in just different traits. And each person has things that they're going to be authentically sort of like geared toward or inclined toward. And like, I remember my friend, a friend of mine in Vancouver, I can't remember why, but he was, he, he was doing this experiment where he was going around and he was talking to people and he was asking him the question, what makes a good man? And he would, and people would say, oh, you know, like loyalty and courage and, you know, taking care of a family and uh, being strong uh, and, you know, just these various like traits and characteristics. And then his follow-up question was, okay, cool. So what of those things would not also make a good woman? Mm. Mm -hmm. So like what, like, what are we saying when we're talking about masculinity? What are we saying when we talk about femininity? I really do feel like we're just talking about traits and if we're using these terms we're talking about stereotypes and so i'm sort of inclined to be like like that's part of the reason that i that i even still feel comfortable identifying as non-binary as a very masculine presenting person is because like i don't believe that there's anything about wearing car hearts and a denim vest and having a beard that is inherently masculine it's a there's there's a stereotype that would suggest that but to me it's like these are not things that make me a man these are things that feel authentic and fun for me right now. Uh, you're reading my mind, or at least we've gone through very similar thought processes. I, <laughs> oh, I always think about this, and I have had similar conversations about like what does it mean to be a man? And no matter what point you refer to, I can easily find somewhere in the world a woman that has that trait more than I do. So, you know, it doesn't matter if it's physical strength. There are plenty of athletes who are cisgender women that are stronger and faster and have better endurance than I do. Again, compassion, caregiving, all these things, you know, protection. There is nothing uniquely masculine about these. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree with you that they are just traits and that we have these tropes around what they mean. I mean, even things like fashion. I've seen some absolutely fascinating uh, threads recently, especially on uh, Twitter, talking about how things like, uh, why do we have gendered clothing for babies? Well, because people were having fewer babies, so the stores that were selling and the clothing makers were having a hard time selling clothing, so they split it up into two lines. So that way you've got to buy different clothes for boy babies than girl babies, so they can sell more clothing when you only have two family or two kids instead of eight. Things like, you know, high heels. High heels started as a very masculine symbol because they were worn by... Uh, folks that would be riding uh, horses and the heels let them stay in the stirrups so they could use both their hands to fire bow and arrow in combat. So it, originally high heels came from a very masculine place. Colors, pink and blue, they used to switch. There's, uh, there's one other little seed that I'll plant here as well that I just stumbled across today where someone did a very fantastic takedown of masculine fashion and who basically blamed it on one man, uh, someone named Bo Brummel, B-E-A-U, B-R-U-M-M-E-L-L, -E uh, who basically was a dandy who didn't like some of the stuff that was going on, and he essentially shamed other men into dressing the way he dressed. And he managed to get a lot of men on board, and that's why we have this standard male outfit. Wow, that's fascinating. This makes me think about, you know, in, in Europe, there's been more legislation to prevent uh, gender-specific advertising. There's, there's some countries uh, that are really pushing for more gender-neutral approaches to raising children. And, and you know, we're seeing, we're seeing microcosms of that. Like, I, 
I have neighbors um, and some other friends who have been raising their children as gender neutral, like not letting anyone know what the the sex is of the child. And and I, I find it really fascinating. And I feel like we're such in the early stages of that, um, you know, seeing what happens when someone is raised outside of these uh, archetypal tropes of of characteristics and behaviors who did they become and I, I I'm just so curious like part of me was just wants to like I want to press the fast forward button and go forward in time and see how's how's it all <laughs> going to turn out but I, since I moved to North America it's I find that North America is far more divided into who you're allowed to be based on your genitals and the behaviors and characteristics that are expected of you and I, and I say this as someone who lived in the Middle East for six years in the Middle East. A lot of people think of it as very like uh, men are one way and women are the other way. And, and that's definitely true. Uh, but there was certainly a lot more permission for women to show up strong and a lot more permission I experienced for men to show up in their compassion and nurturance. And and I don't find that there is as much space for that for men in North America, unless we're in, you know, the kind of alternative queer circles that we we rotate in. I would definitely agree with you. Um, my perspective on that has always been a little bit skewed because I was lucky enough to be raised by very hippie parents. Uh, so while I wasn't raised genderless, uh, we mostly had like gender neutral toys and there were no expectations on myself versus my sister around what we could or couldn't do. So at home, I always had complete free reign to do whatever. Uh, and for better or for worse, I was also just a little bit oblivious as a kid. So while there was more of that programming that got in subconsciously in the greater world around me, I, similar to what Levi was mentioning earlier, most of my friends as a kid were girls, and that was just a thing that I did. And uh, if people thought that that was strange or odd, they kept it to themselves, at least around me. Um, but at the same time, the more that I've gotten to know, uh, or more that I've gotten to really be paying attention to what's happening around gender, uh, I do watch my you know straight cisgender male friends, and I do see some of those things. I, I was... I don't know, like in my 20s before I realized that there was a stigma against peeing while sitting down. And that just blew my mind that like, wait, you think that it's not masculine to sit down when you pee? There's a stigma about that? Who, who taught you that? There is a stigma about that. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're somehow less of a man if you sit down to pee instead of standing up at a urinal. Well, okay, one second. I, I got to say, as someone who does not have a penis, I have often wanted to <laughs> stand up and pee because holy moly, there are so many circumstances where that's so much more convenient. And I recently bought uh, one of those special pee funnel uh, devices, mm -hmm. um, and I've been practicing using it. They recommend you practice in the shower first. Um, it's a good idea. Yeah, I'm like, wow, yeah, this this takes some getting used to. Where's where's the manual? Uh, but like, it feels very empowering to be able to do that. I have to say, as someone who doesn't have a penis, who gets to use this thing that can make it seem like I have a penis to pee with. It, it's kind of cool, but maybe that's just the novelty of it. 
I don't think you're alone on that. Um, I have a friend that was uh, out in drag and had one of those devices as well. Uh, and this was at a kinky event. So was, you know, there was some exhibitionism going on. Uh, and she said, okay, I'm going to go pee standing up. Who wants to come watch? And so she got a whole bunch of her friends to come over and watch her pee standing up. But she hadn't practiced. And unfortunately, the flow control wasn't ideal. <laughs> so uh, she wound up having to go home to change afterwards oh, no. and come back to the party a little bit later. Oh, dear. <laughs> but at the same time, like, she felt super empowered. There were a lot of other uh, people that didn't have penises that were observing and were like, oh, wow, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so th- there is some interesting dynamics around that. Hmm. Yeah. I... um. Brem, you mentioned the uh, the tuxedo gown from the Oscars, and uh, I I was looking at it as the the pictures from the Oscars were coming in, and I was I was with a group of people when I was looking at it, and I was just speechless. And I was like, "This is so beautiful!" And I showed it to one of to people there, and one of the women who was with me there, she said, "Oh, that's funny," and mm-hmm. I was like, "Why is it funny to you?" <laughs> and I, I was. I was kind of flabbergasted and I realized this is someone who doesn't perhaps realize that this is an authentic presentation for this person. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea of like men being feminine has sort of in the media historically been a thing that is like the butt of a joke. Right. Absolutely. Whenever a man does something, does something feminine, that is like, there's nothing funnier mm-hmm. because it's just so deviates from the expectation. I think of Mrs. Doubtfire. I think of... Uh, all the times in Monty Python when the guys are playing women, like it's it's hilarious, and and it's played for comedy. Mm-hmm. And why is it so hilarious? You know, that's the question. Like, what is so funny about that? Well, it it is in our culture anyway uh, humiliating to be feminized because women are weak, and therefore humiliation is funny. I also have a, a bit of a slightly longer story around that that I'd like to share if there's some time, but it's it's a bit of a walk to it. So mm-hmm. uh, go for it. So I recently had a vasectomy, which is its own thing in the whole world of masculinity because a lot of masculinity forces men is the ability to procreate. And so there was a lot of setup at this clinic basically to help kind of assuage the male ego around this medical procedure. I'm there as a queer person, and I'm like, okay, well, this is mostly a precaution because I don't want to accidentally have any kids, but I'm not too concerned about it. So all throughout the whole process, it was a little bit surreal to kind of go through all these different steps. But finally, I'm here, and I'm having the procedure done. Uh, and the uh, the person who's doing it, the doctor who's doing it, gives me a choice of what to play on the television to distract me as I'm having my tube snipped. And the uh, the choices were, uh, there was apparently a uh, home improvement episode that had to do with vasectomies. Uh, there was another sitcom, I don't remember what the other sitcom was, that also had some like vasectomy theme to it. And I'm like, I don't like either of these options. I, I would rather just like sit here in silence, to be perfectly honest. Uh, so as a, a flash of inspiration, my doctor then said, oh, well, we also have a Mr. Bean episode that we could play. Like, all right, yeah, Mr. Bean's not bad. Sure, let's put that on as I'm having my vasectomy done. The episode that comes on is Mr. Bean in the laundromat, screwing up his laundry and winding up misplacing his clothes. He pulls out someone else's clothes, which, of course, are women's clothes. 
and he has to start to wear this skirt and it's this long kind of pencil skirt style so he's so ashamed of the fact that he's wearing a skirt that he's like tucking the middle fold between his legs and shuffling around to make it look like it's pants and not a skirt and i'm here thinking you know i almost came to this appointment wearing a skirt so that i'd have really loose clothing for afterwards this is just kind of odd and then the final part of it that really was again surreal is as i'm lying here having this procedure done the other thing that is visible in the room is stapled to the ceiling overhead a photo of john wayne with the caption on it saying sometimes a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do oh goodness and i just want my tooth snip that's all i'm here for i i don't need any of this stuff and at the end of it i got a fist bump from my doctor who is if anything, even more painfully white than I am. Um, so yeah, the whole thing was really quite quite eye-opening in terms of what they have to do to make a vasectomy accessible to stereotypical men, to men that are not as comfortable around these things. Uh, it was it was quite bizarre. But yes, the, the the whole thing to distract me from the procedure was an episode of Mr. Bean who was being humiliated by wearing a skirt. Wow. I, I just can't get over the image of John Wayne's picture looking down at you. <laughs> Staring down on me. <laughs> oh, dear. They they did their psychology research there, clearly. Apparently. The fact that that exists, that this is, this is the links that a medical establishment has to go to in order to help their clientele, and you are not their average clientele, but to help their average clientele feel safe and and that they can come and get this procedure, which for many people is very important. I, I feel like that's a commentary on uh, how limiting these these definitions of masculinity are and how important it is for people to break out of them. Like, like it's I just I'm like, if I needed to have John Wayne's face in my face to be able to get a, a medical procedure, I feel like. Maybe there's a different uh, root cause that we could be addressing here. I mean, it really speaks to like the the idea of like you know mat- like fragility, you know, male fragility mm-hmm. in this, this. There's this you know this whole idea that men are supposed to be strong and unfazed by anything and secure and all this kind of stuff. But but the very nature of sort of toxic masculinity, let's say for instance that forces men to isolate and to not talk about their feelings and to, to not be expressed and to not get help and to sort of just really be mired in shame because they're not able to fulfill this sort of expectation around masculinity. Like they, there's this expectation to be strong when really so many men are fucking hurting, Mm -hmm. like they're hurting so deeply and they can't access the support that they need because if they do, there's this very real fear that they will be, yeah, well that they're feminizing themselves that they're going to be rejected for not being masculine enough. And there's actually a lot of culture around like women and like women partners really shaming the men that they're with mm. for not upholding this sort of ideal around masculinity. A friend of mine has read a lot of bell hooks and I, I think she has a book specifically where she talks a lot about sort of like the the responsibility and really the opportunity that women have to to actually support that sort of full emotional expression uh, from men 
and that, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be unfamiliar. And there's a lot of people who are like, men need to be more of this and men need to be more like that. And I think when it actually happens, the people that think that they want it are (laughs) really confronted by something uncomfortable and strange. What you said there about like women partners shaming men for not being masculine enough, that that really hits home for me. Like I I can see elements of that happening in my childhood between my, my parents. I know that I've certainly done that maybe not in male partners but in in men who I knew were interested in me uh there was a kind of like power dynamic and being able to be like well you're not you're not this enough or something like that when I was when I was younger but this piece about male fragility like it's it's such a huge um, source of this like internalizing shame that seems to shut everything down and and I I've certainly experienced in conversations of with cisgendered males who've never had the space to explore this stuff that it feels like if I if I just nudge that door open the slightest bit everything's going to topple it's going to be like dominoes falling one 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 after the other and and there's so much fear about how do I even handle that that they don't want to go there and I mean I I personally feel like exploring more queerness exploring challenging the standard masculine box through queerness is a really good way to challenge that male fragility but i i don't know what that would actually look like and i i'm wondering if either of you would have anything that you could share from your own experience to, that speaks to that yes i can go i was wanting to give Bram an opportunity to respond first, but I have to go ahead. I'm still contemplating. So, I mean, I like, I started going to therapy when I was probably 21. Finally started to kind of realize that I did have some emotional kind of mental health issues that would really require me to get some help. And so a lot of that journey has been like, basically because I have, I have a lot of trauma around men. I have a lot of, as and so I have a lot of fear around men in it. I have a very hard time trusting men. And so I would always insist on having women counselors. And so I've spent years in these therapy sessions with women basically telling me, like, it's okay to feel, it's okay to express yourself, like, this is a safe place for you to express yourself. And yet there was always this, like, significant block to really, I mean, I talk a big talk about being, you know, a very emotional person and and being very vulnerable and very, being very transparent. And, but I am actually very afraid to have people see me in an emotional state. I can intellectualize the shit out of my feelings, but to actually express them to somebody is, is terrifying. And there's actually like a huge block where it just won't come out. I'll just be like, I'll go from feeling something really intense to just going completely numb because I think that's kind of how I trained myself or I was socialized to be. Um, and the interesting thing that I realized was that like, well, I, so I started going to this men's circle in Victoria that some people were telling me about, and it was, you know, the most tar- terrifying thing to, to consider going to, but I knew that I needed to be in community with more men who were on some kind of healing path because like my fear and trauma around men was something that was like really cutting off, you know, half of the population. I have this like fear and this discomfort and this intimidation around, you know, half the population. And so I started going to this men's circle. Uh, it's through an organization called the Mankind Project. And really what we're doing is work to help men and masculine people experience and process 
uh, you know, full range of emotion. I, I realized, I think, after the first or, or maybe the second time that I went to this, to this group, because I was able to do this work where I was getting into my emotions in a way that I had never been able to with like woman counselors. And I realized I had this like light bulb moment where I was just like, yeah, I actually really needed like other men and masculine people to like give me permission and to model for me what it looks like to be strong and masculine and also vulnerable and expressive and just watching, you know, grown men, like there's this big muscly fireman guy and he's sobbing and he's crying about missing his dead mom, you know, things like that, where it's just like, I needed so badly to have uh, like men and masculine people model that for me so that I could also experience it myself and so that I could get into that, that emotional space. It sounds like having that space to do this work with other people who are raised as men has helped you to heal the relationship to, to your own, I, I want to say masculinity, but that doesn't sound quite right. But um, does that make sense? Like it, it's, it's healed your relationship to two men um you've got to experience a different way of relating to other men it gave me an opportunity to see that i don't have to be afraid of all men that there are in fact and i think i knew this intellectually mm-hmm. but it's you know it's like it's it's like living it's like it's like a minefield like sure i can go about my my, my daily life in the world and hope that the specific men that i'm interacting with aren't the dangerous kind of toxic men that I'm ultimately afraid that I'm going to interact with. But I have no real assurance of that. But at least by going to this circle, I know that these guys are at least on some kind of healing path. And and by the very nature of the way that the group is structured and the work that we do, they are really trying to lean into that experience of having a, a full, sort of a full spectrum of emotionality. And how did it feel for you going into a space of men being someone who identifies as non-binary? Well, I knew I knew going into it that I wasn't going to I wasn't going to be out mm. to them as non-binary. I knew that this is was going to be one space like many spaces in my life where I choose to keep my identity to myself. Um and that has in a lot of ways actually gotten a lot easier for me. Um largely because there are people there you know there's other like non-binary folks in my life who present as their assigned birth who basically have have reassured me you know in these in some conversations around like oh well if I'm expressing so masculine like maybe I'm just a guy like am I just a man or like you know like is this just like an act like why am I doing this and then just kind of giving me the reassurance of like your presentation is, doesn't make you that gender and whatever feels right for you in your heart when you think about how you identify I mean that's that's what's true for you. And they're like, uh, they're also like, I honestly don't think that cisgender people really think this much about gender in the first place. Like it's just something that's kind of (laughs) innate. So there's probably something going on there. So going into it, it was, it was intimidating, but I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into. And then I eventually did after about four months of going to this group, I felt safe enough to come out as non-binary and they were super supportive and super accepting. And I think for a lot of them, it's not something that they necessarily understand, but I am at least out to them and some of them understand it. And some of them have even started using, you know, my pronoun and I don't know, it's just been very healing and 
I, I guess it's like, I'm really navigating this experience of like being non-binary and also knowing that I'm read as a man in the world. And I think because I've held this identity for as long as I have, it's, it doesn't really bother me as much because it, I don't feel like there's, there's any threat. Like I don't feel insecure about like having to prove that I'm non-binary. Like it's just mm-hmm. who I am. I, I love hearing about um, men's groups and, and the incredible work that can be accomplished through these circle uh, of, of men, people who are raised as men, people who present as men um, doing this work for each other. I think it's, it's really powerful. And, and what you touched on there a little bit uh, towards the end, this idea of, you know, it presenting it more in this masculine way isn't like you're not suddenly changing your who you are. It's, it's a conscious choice about this is how you want to show up in the world, which I think feels more empowering than saying this is who I'm supposed to show up as in the world. Yes, absolutely. I want to ask Bram mm-hmm. uh, what their experiences have been sort of connecting with men, having men as friends. Yeah, just the, the experience, I guess, of like having connections with men and, and, and having this identity that maybe a lot of the men that you interact with won't necessarily understand or identify mm-hmm. with. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, even now, I tend to be in female-dominated areas. I spend a lot of time working in call centers that were female-dominated. I currently teach in an artistic profession, adults, and so it tends to attract more female students, uh, more female co-teachers. So I'm still in a lot of female-dominated areas. Uh, But the one area that I do have a really core group of friends who are super important to me is my uh, Sunday night uh, Dungeons & Dragons group. Which is comprised of another, depending on the night, you know, four or five uh, cisgender men. And as far as I know, they're all straight. And so it's been quite interesting for them as I have come out to them for more of these pieces, uh, where at first it was kind of theoretical. So I said, okay, yeah, you know, I am genderqueer and this is what that means. But then there was in particular an event where in order to get to a game night as well as a queer event I was going to, I was going to be having to show up at game night in a very high femme kind of presentation. So I just told them all, like, all right, well, uh, FYI, you're going to see literally a different side of me next week. And so, you know, that's just a thing that's going to happen. So there's a momentary pause around the group. And then one of my friends said, well, just bring a bottle of whiskey. We'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, is simultaneously encouraging but also kind of a bit of toxic masculinity of you know we need to consume some alcohol to make this okay you might as well have brought john wayne as your date exactly but i don't want to come off as too harsh because it was a light-hearted comment and they've been super accepting and there's been no issues around it uh they do struggle with pronouns and so while they know i use they pronouns you know they've, they've known me since before then Uh, And my general guidance around pronouns is that as long as it's given with respect, that's more important to me than using a specific pronoun. Yeah. And so they've actually been quite solid in terms of uh, that. And in particular, one of my friends in that group, uh, he's very much like a suburban kid, you know, grew up in the suburbs, didn't have a lot of exposure to like queer folks and trans folks and so on. And it's been fascinating for me to watch his own growth and him talking to me about this, where he's like, okay, you know, the way I was raised, what you've just described to me, I would have thought that is wrong. 
but I know you and I know you're a good person. And so I'm going to have to process this and I'm going to have to think about what this means because you're still the same person. You're not a bad person. So clearly my upbringing is wrong. Uh, and there's been a few things like that that he's gone through with me uh, in terms of coming out as polyamorous, uh, in terms of, again, coming out as genderqueer, uh, various elements. And he, it's been this uh, really, uh, he's been doing a lot of his own work. So, uh, but some of that with me and and he's come to a really great place and it helps that he is absolutely one of the sweetest, kindest, most generous people I know. If you were in trouble, he would give you the shirt off his back without a second moment of hesitation. But it, it's been quite fascinating in that regard. I do find that my uh, students uh, who are male, again, they're adult students, uh, they don't get it as much. Um, and I don't push it as much because it's not important for the content that I'm teaching. Um, but every once in a while, I'll have one who, like, after graduation will approach me and say, you know, You've mentioned some of these things. I know that this is part of your life. I'm interested in finding out more now that you're no longer a teacher. You know, can we sit down for some coffee or something? And can we have a conversation? Uh, and so that's also been fairly positive in terms of it. And there's been some that haven't gotten it, have just then self-selected their way out of my life, which I'm also okay with. Uh, so for the most part, it's been pretty positive. But I will admit that my actual circle of cisgender male friends is very mm. small. I really appreciate that you have this kind of soft coming out approach. And and I think that that's really lovely. Like I can hear in the way you're talking about it, that you just being you, you're, you're authentic in whatever way you're showing up and, and it allows people to know, well, you're a good person. And then they discover the description of who you are and, and the identifiers and the way that you live the rest of your life when you're not playing D and D and, <laughs> and because they enjoy playing D and D with you, that makes it more um, accessible that you are doing all these other things too. I think that's, I mean, in, in my own queerness, that's kind of how I, I take it. And it's really nice to hear that that works for other people too. And it, I, I think some people think that coming out has to be this like, ta-da, like, here I am. I've discovered all these things about myself. And and I've certainly seen some people go, oh my gosh, like, I, I'm a man, but I love wearing dresses. Like, this has to mean all these things about me. And of course, we, we're lucky to live in a time where there's, and in a country too, where there's a lot more access to information about the diversity of gender expression mm -hmm. and of gender identity. And, and even that these can be two separate yet related things. Yeah. And I, I think about some people kind of will hold back because they think that if they take that one step, then they have to like change everything in their lives. And what I'm hearing from both of you is that like, no, you don't have to change everything. You can be you and you can explore queerness in whatever way feels authentic for you. And yeah, to tie that back to how you introduced this idea of queerness in here, for me, a big part of queerness is expanding definitions. Mm. So rather than, you know, there being one appropriate way to have an emotion as a man, which typically is anger, let's expand that. Let's expand it to other types as well. Uh, so kind of breaking out of false dichotomies, breaking out of false binaries and having both and as opposed to either or. So, yeah, whether it is, you know, there it it's OK to want to be a primary caregiver. It's OK to want to make money and help support a family. 
And it is also okay if someone else contributes income or if someone else is a primary caregiver. It is okay if you have to take a break for mental health reasons, if you have to go back to school for some education so you're being supported. It doesn't make you less of a man if you have to go through these other activities. So for me, I guess that's kind of, again, the start of point that I would look at from queerness is what are you excluding and why? What are you saying is not masculine? And how can you find a way to turn that around and include it as something that is masculine? Mm. Oh, I like that. That's really good. I, I was curious, how do you each approach the pronoun thing? Because I, <laughs> I I play with using, I say to people, I'm, I'm fine with she, but I in a group, I would prefer they. And I do that partly because of my own gender queerness and also because by pushing for that, I'm going to make more space for other people who are who use uh, they as a pronoun or who use non-traditional pronouns. But I've had a lot of people, including partners, just be like, I can't wrap my head around it. What? How do you handle that? Do you have any advice for that? Yeah, my journey as far as like pronouns are concerned started with when I, when I first came out as non-binary, I was like, he or they, because there was sort of this desire to sort of like gently transition. And I wasn't like feeling like I absolutely needed people to validate my identity with using my pronoun. And there was a sort of like a caretaking aspect to it where I didn't want to make people like really struggle. And I just wanted to be able to, yeah, I wanted people to feel comfortable just, you know, referring to me and interacting with me and not having to worry about it. So I wanted to kind of make, leave that an option. And as I became sort of, I guess, like more empowered or feeling more solid in my identity, I was kind of just like, well, that's my pronoun. So that's my pronoun. And so I started, yeah, being more assertive about it. And I would often correct people and make Facebook posts about it, reminding people and stuff like that. And like, there were, yeah, there were, there were, there was a, there was a, a time when it was like really challenging. Cause I was really, I just felt like I was trying to assert myself and set up for myself. And so many people were struggling with it. And what actually ended up being more uncomfortable than anything was having to deal with like the, you know, and it's a common thing that people talk about online and stuff is this idea that what's often more uncomfortable and more frustrating than just simply being misgendered is like the the woe is me kind of like reaction to like someone having mm-hmm. misgendered you and being like I'm so sorry you know I'm trying so hard and now all of a sudden it's about them mm-hmm. and how they're needing reassurance from you that like you know that you're they're not a bad person and that it's like, it's like hey I know you like they it, it, it becomes a sort of the role is reversed and now you have to like caretake for them because they're feeling all shamey about it. My pronouns been consistently they for probably four or five years. And as far as like my, my closest circles of people, they're totally fine with it. They're really good. And it's not really an issue, but specifically what's changed for me since going to the men's group is that I'm actually less uncomfortable with being referred to in terms like dude, um, bro, like man, like things like that actually feel fine right now. Cause it's like, that's coming from people that I have actual connection with. It wouldn't feel it doesn't feel good when people that I don't know say stuff like that, but when it's people that I have a close connection with, it actually doesn't feel bad. It feels like intimacy, it feels like affection and connection, but I still don't re- like being referred to as he. And there like actually recently I have been having this experience of like I can see people struggling to articulate themselves using a they pronoun and specifically using it with me. And I'm honestly, I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm so bored of it. <laughs> like, I'm, I just like, 
I don't, it, it's gotten to this point where I'm just like, I just want people to just say whatever the fuck they want to say so that we can move on with the conversation. It's frustrating. And I often sometimes feel like I'm compromising by just, I, there's some people in my life that just struggle with articulation in general. Like I have a friend that I've known for seven years and she just cannot get it right. And I recently told her, I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> You've got a free pass. Uh, and it's not, I'm not just doing it for her. I'm doing it for me because honestly, I have to sit there and sort of like endure her process. So that's kind of where I, it's frustrating. But right now, yeah, right now I'm in like less of an assertive place with it where I'm just kind of like, whatever, call me whatever you want. <laughs> Is there a plural form of the singular they? Like as in a group of yeah. Days? Well, I, I I this is this is a total aside, but I have I have two uh, dear friends who are they're both uh, masculine. They both use they pronouns, and they're in a relationship together. And I I went to go refer to like I went to visit them, and I was like them's them's they's like do I do I just put an s on there? And I was like so stumped, and I think I spent like half a day trying to wrap my head around like there's got to be the right way to do this and I don't want to get it wrong <laughs> I eventually realized I'm like it's about the intention that's coming through like there mm-hmm. there probably isn't a clear right way yet or at least if I there I would say both of them or all of them exactly yeah googling did not yield clear answers <laughs> yeah yeah both of them all of them or like just saying they in hopes that that will makes sense or yeah using both mm-hmm. of their names like so and so and so and so that's usually my response to anybody who's like having a hard time with like the pronoun thing it's like just use the name <laughs> <laughs> yeah say the name a million times who cares yeah i'm kind of a, a bit of a hybrid between you in terms of pronouns um so i do use neutral they when i am uh, in my communities when i'm teaching honestly it's relatively rare that my students will refer to me by pronouns anyway so uh, I'm not as concerned about that. And likewise, my gaming group, uh, they're trying, but they've also known me as he for a lot longer. Uh, they've known me for he before they knew me as they. Uh, and as long as it's coming out with respect, that's the more important part. Uh, but I'm much more uh, willing to, uh, again, kind of stake out that space when I'm doing community organization. Uh, I recently did a television interview here at the school, and I also asked for that to be part of, you know, any references they make to me. So from that perspective, I tend to be a little more uh, firm on it. Interestingly enough, I actually have the opposite um, sensation around dude and bro, that those always just get my hackles up, and that it, it just really feels like there's you know nails on a chalkboard when that gets applied to me uh so even if the pronouns are right uh, to me those terms even if they're coming as terms of endearment i really don't identify with them at all so that's that's something that i'm much more likely to say okay i don't mind he so much but don't call me a dude don't call me a bro because that is just not who i am that's so interesting because i really enjoy being called a dude and and it makes me wonder if dude is perhaps a a specific gender expression, perhaps, or I don't know. Well, there's the uh, meme that goes around every once in a while where if you think dude is neutral, ask a straight man how many dudes he slept with <laughs> and see what the answer is. Right. <laughs> You're both such beautiful humans. Thank you so much for taking this time to be on this call tonight. I don't think I've I've expressed this to either of you explicitly, but... 
Um, one of the reasons why I was excited to have both of you on, on the podcast is that both of you as individuals have been instrumental in helping me to understand uh, gender identity and gender expression better. Um, because both of you have challenged me in, in the very limited upbringing that I had around these things. And um, it's been such a, a wonderful honor and privilege to have friendships uh, with both of you and to, and to be able to learn and grow and be challenged in myself um, and to be able to celebrate both of you being in your authenticity as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. That's very sweet. I appreciate that. And uh, you've certainly been a fantastically supportive. And uh, also, um, you've got a, a great ability to listen and ask just the right question, either for your own clarification or sometimes for mine. I feel pressure to be sincere. <laughs> Which is, yeah, a challenge of mine. Not that there's not a lot of very sincere things that I would ultimately like to say. But yeah, I know I really appreciate this opportunity and I appreciate you and the work that you do, Mel. And I'm, I'm excited whenever you um, feel inclined to include me in your, in your stuff. So thank you. The masculinity podcast is made possible by the support of people like you. Please visit my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash masculinity, M A S c-u-l-i-n-i-t-e-a your support means the world to me and all people who support this podcast get to join our exclusive facebook group where the conversation continues join us next time for more conversations about men masculinity and our relationships to them in the meantime if you have ideas questions or things you'd like me to talk about, give me a shout. Melina at RadicalRelationshipCoaching.ca